Welcome to the Simply Resilient Podcast. This is episode number 30, What Do You Do With a Chance? My name is Jesse Ellertson, and I am a life coach and a military wife who is in the trenches of life with each of you. This podcast is for military wives who know how to handle the challenges of deployments and frequent trainings, but want to stop feeling mentally miserable in the process. You know what to do, and you're doing it, all while holding down the fort at home. But you are weary from living in survival mode and battling with your brain. If you are ready to thrive, then you are in the right place. We're going to start off this episode with a battle buddy moment. It's a review for the podcast from Steph underscore Benz. And she says, helpful for anyone. This podcast is incredibly helpful for those who get stuck in a thought cycle. And in parentheses, she wrote me exclamation point and want to change their mindset for a better life. Even though this is geared toward military wives, anyone who wants to take charge of their thoughts can apply what she teaches. Jessie is relatable, thoughtful, and realistic. Super easy to listen to with relevant content. Thank you so much for that review. Really, really appreciate it when you guys take the time to review my podcast. It's really helpful for other people to know that this is valuable and worth listening to. So if you're having that experience, please go right now and go review it. Pause this episode or do it while you're listening and just leave me a quick review. I would love that. Thank you so much. Okay, so like I mentioned, this episode is called What Do You Do With a Chance? And this is the second part of our three-part series on the books, What You Do Matters. And so today we're going to be reading the book, What Do You Do With a Chance? These books are written by Kobe Yamada and illustrated by Mae Bessem. What do you do with a chance? One day I got a chance. It just seemed to show up. It acted like it knew me, as if it wanted something. I didn't know why it was here. What do you do with a chance, I wondered. It fluttered around me. It brushed up against me. It circled me as if it wanted me to grab it. I started to reach for it, but I was unsure, and I pulled back. And so it flew away. I thought about it a lot. I wish I had taken my chance. I realized I had wanted it, but I still didn't know if I had the courage. When another chance came around, I wasn't so sure, but I decided to try. I went to reach for it, but I missed and fell. I was embarrassed. I felt foolish. It seemed like everyone was looking at me. I decided I never wanted to feel this way again. So after that, whenever a chance came along, I ignored it. And the more I ignored them, the less they came around. Until one day I noticed that I hadn't seen a chance in quite a while. It was as if they had all disappeared. I started to worry, what if I don't get another chance? I know I acted like I didn't care, but the truth was I did. I still wanted to take a chance, but I was afraid. And I wasn't sure if I would ever be brave enough. Then I thought, maybe I don't have to be brave all the time. Maybe I just need to be brave for a little while at the right time. I realized it was up to me. I promised myself that if I ever got another chance, I wasn't going to hold back. If I got another chance, I was going to be ready. Then one seemingly ordinary day, I saw something shining far off in the distance. 
Is it possible, I hoped? Could this be my chance? I had to find out. I ran as hard and as fast as I could toward it. I don't know how to explain it, but the second I let go of my fears, I was full of excitement. It wasn't that I was no longer afraid, but now my excitement was bigger than my fear. As I got closer, I could see that this was a really huge chance. By this time, I was ready. As it came by, I reached out and grabbed it. I held on with all my might. It felt so good to soar, to fly, to be free. I now see that when I hold back, I miss out. And I don't want to miss out. There's just so much I want to see and do and discover. So what do you do with a chance? You take it. Because it just might be the start of something incredible. The end. Oh, another wonderful book. I really, really enjoy these. There's a lot of awesome parts in this book that I want to touch on in this episode and kind of tie it into the life coaching concepts that I see being discussed in this book. Now, these aren't life coaching books. I just see the principles in them so clearly. And I love that they're, for children, they're really easy to understand and digestible. And I love having these opportunities to introduce some of these concepts to my kids. So I love when he talks about how he was a little unsure, so he didn't grab for it. And then the next one, he thought, well, yeah, I'll grab for it. And he fell. And he felt like everyone was looking at him. And he was embarrassed. And he decided right in that moment, from that pain of that embarrassment, that he never wanted to feel that way again. And so he started to ignore all the chances that came around him. And that is something that we all do as grown-ups, as you know, as children, as grown-ups. We feel a failure, basically some sort of failure, and we feel embarrassed or shameful or whatever we decide to feel about the thing we tried to do that didn't work out. And we decide that that negative emotion is not worth feeling and we never want to feel it again and we want to avoid things that might create those feelings for us. And honestly, that's a little bit like changing the circumstance because when we're able to look at a failure in the model, all we can do is put the facts of the failure in our circumstance line, you know, what we tried to do, maybe what we said, and then we put the way we felt about it, like embarrassed or ashamed. And then that's when we take a look at what we were thinking about our failure. And we can think anything we want to about a failure. But if we decide to think something like everyone thinks I'm a failure or now everyone knows the truth about me or I should have never even tried or basically our brain tries to make our failure mean something about who we are as a person instead of just looking at the facts at hand and saying I tried something and it didn't work. I wonder how I'll try it again in the future. There's a lot of other ways that we could think about that quote unquote failure. But when we decide to think those embarrassing, shameful thoughts that really mean something about us, then that's the way we feel. We feel embarrassed and shameful. And those are very uncomfortable feelings that we decide I never want to feel this way again. And so the way I don't feel this way again is not cleaning up our thinking about our failure, but to never do things where we might fail. And so in the book, when he starts to ignore all the chances that come around him, he notices that they aren't coming around as much anymore. And that's a really beautiful lesson because when we're willing to reach for things and some we grab and some we fall, some we succeed and some we fail, If we're willing to do that and willing to feel those things, chances come along all the time because we're watching for them and we're waiting for them. And so one day he noticed that they weren't coming around anymore because when when they came, he ignored them. And he decided that even though he was pretending he didn't care, he really did care. And he decided that the next time a chance came, he would grab for it. And I love that concept too, because if we wait to decide what we're going to do with a chance 
of when it's right in front of us, sometimes that's too late to have made that decision. And so he had that game plan in place of the next time I see a chance, I'm going for it no matter what. And the next one that came along, he wasn't even totally sure what it was yet or how big it was. He started to run straight for it. And a couple of things there that I loved is he said, maybe I don't have to be brave all the time. Maybe I just need to to be brave in certain moments. And that's that can be really true too. And another thing that I think is important to acknowledge about being brave is it doesn't mean not feeling afraid. And he goes on to say that a little later in the book. He says, it wasn't that I wasn't afraid anymore. It was that my excitement got bigger than my fear. And the way I like to look at that is when we're doing big, hard things and we expect to just feel really motivated and excited about doing it, often we feel fear and you know worry and concern and um, dread and some of these other things that are not very motivating to take that action. And then we think, oh, I, I maybe this must mean I shouldn't do it. But what I like to imagine is when we're writing out things in the model, sometimes we're looking at it like almost like we should only ever feel one emotion at a time. But I think we always have multiple models going really in any given circumstance. They're going simultaneously. And when we look at them in the model, we only look at one at a time just because that's how we get a hold of it. But our brain is really amazing and it can have lots of models going at once and Lots of models going about, you know, even just one circumstance, lots of models going about that circumstance, along with other circumstances that are simultaneously occurring. Really, our brain can handle a lot. And that's one reason why it can be hard to get a look at it, which is why we pull one model out and take a look. But to know that we're feeling multiple things at the same time, and that's normal and right on track. So the way I like to visualize that is it's kind of like you're in your your minivan or your suburban or, or just think of kind of a bigger vehicle that has a couple of rows and you're letting the main emotion that you want to create your experience be in the driver's seat, or at least in shotgun with you. Like I kind of imagine I'm in the driver's seat <laughs> and I just let the emotions that I want to have the most influence on me be in the, in the shotgun, in the passenger seat, or at least in that bench just right behind me. And any emotions that are, they're welcome to come along for the ride. I know it's normal for them to be there, but I don't really want them to have any say in what we're doing. I just invite them to sit in the back seat or even in the very back cargo area. And so scared comes along a lot when we're doing big things where the potential to fail is there. And I just say like, it's okay, scared, you can come along, but you need to sit in the back and that's totally fine. Come with us, but I'm going to put excitement and commitment and drive and things like that right here with me. And I want them to be bigger and have a bigger say in what we're doing than scared and worried and concerned and and dread and unmotivated. Those things come. That's natural for them to be there, but I don't want them anywhere near the driver's seat. So I just love that page when he said like, I was still feeling scared, but my excitement got bigger as he ran toward the chance. His excitement got bigger than his fear and it was up in the driver's seat. So let's talk a little bit about what it means to fail and what it means to be willing to fail. This is a huge tool that I've given myself as I have learned to apply these self-coaching concepts in my life is being willing to fail and being willing to feel the negative emotions that come with failure because really that has opened up my life. And so one way I like to think about failure that I learned from my coach and from my teacher is that we imagine ourselves failing forward. So failure is a very necessary step of a forward moving journey. Failure doesn't mean that we're stopping, going backward. It's actually a very forward motion. Failing forward is something that has really helped me to think about. I'm willing to fail because I'm moving forward. And when I move forward, I'm failing forward. At times I'm failing, at times I'm succeeding, and both things are moving me forward. Another really 
helpful concept to me is to know that any success is always built on a pile of failures. It's very normal to fail once, twice, 10 times before we crown that pile of failures with a beautiful success. The way we achieve success, occasionally you'll achieve a random success that didn't require any failures, but for the most part, it takes try one, try two, try three, and then success, or try one, try two, all the way up to try 10, and then success. And from each failure, if we're willing to fail and we're considering it a forward-moving action to fail, we're learning something from every failure and we're getting better and closer to our success. And then when we do achieve that success, it's built on that pile of failures that we created, that we learn something from every single time. And it's just part of the figuring it out process. When you ask someone why they're not willing to try something, they often say, I'm just afraid of failure. Like that is a really common sentence that our lower brain offers us. And then when you, I'll ask my clients, like, well, what does that even mean to you? What does failure look like? And I'll kind of dig into that with them. They often don't even know what they mean by being afraid to fail. It's just, it's a little bit like a couple of responses that our lower brain gives us in order to not take a look at a problem we're dealing with or a possible solution is they'll either say, well, I I don't want to try because I'm afraid to fail or just plain, I don't know. Like, well, why, why haven't you done this? Well, I don't know. That's a very safe, easy answer that our lower brain just wants to throw out there. One of those two, uh, among others, to just kind of shut the investigation down. It doesn't really want to take a look inside your brain and see what you're thinking and see what the problem is. It just wants to shut the investigation down. And so I, whenever my clients offer me, I don't know, or I'm afraid to fail, that's just my perfect signal to be like, okay, let's go further. Let's probe further. And it's going to be uncomfortable and we're going to do it anyway, because this is what you're working with a coach to accomplish is to help have them help you take a look at your mind, to show you your mind, to show you your thoughts, to understand your brain and the way it works and how certain things are leading to certain things. And you didn't really know why. And now you know why, you know, the patterns, you know, you know, your brain so well, you know what it's doing, you know, why when it offers you that, you know why it's doing that. It's this beautiful roadmap inside your brain. And almost like a, another way I think of it is almost like a language translating dictionary. Like we don't know the language of our brain until we learn a lot of these concepts. And then it's like, we have a translator. We are now able to translate what our brain's doing and why, and what it's offering us and why to see very clearly. And once we understand it, then we have that leverage over it. So my clients, again, will often say, you know, I'm afraid to fail, but they don't even necessarily know what failure looks like. And that's really just keeping them holding still, stuck in their problems. But once you're able to identify what a failure would look like, why a failure would be valuable to be willing to feel and do, and what it will accomplish for you, it really opens up your mind to being willing to fail. Um, Another thing I'll point out to my clients sometimes is how they're actually failing ahead of time. By being afraid to fail, they don't take the action. They don't grab the chance. And then they ensure that they fail. So if, it, if the chance is uh, maybe, you know, starting a business or learning how to do ballet or something like that, and they're not willing to try it because they don't, they're afraid to fail, then they failed ahead of time. They ensured the failure of that endeavor by never having even tried. So rather than trying and possibly failing or possibly succeeding, they just don't even try which is ensuring that they do not succeed and in other words, fail. And so that's a really interesting perspective to look at is that I have just ensured that I failed ahead of time rather than possibly failing by trying. Another thing that can be really helpful to look at in regards to being willing to fail is if you kind of go to that worst case scenario where you say, okay, I'm going to try this. And the worst thing that can happen is it won't work. And then maybe everyone will see and they'll think some things about me and maybe, you know, maybe I'll feel embarrassed. Maybe I'll feel ashamed, you know, especially if we're using those thoughts to think about our failure of like, I shouldn't have tried or 
people maybe people are right about me you know if we're using those thoughts we're definitely going to feel that embarrassment and and shame but really that's the worst thing that could happen is just feeling that pretty uncomfortable negative emotion because when we're being afraid to fail and so then we're thinking about not even trying the thing our lower brain is offering us like really dramatic things that might happen like like that we might die. I mean, it's misidentifying that danger we've talked about before. It's saying, if we try this, that's like confronting a bear. And then if we're able to just step back, force our brain to go into our higher brain and look at the potential risks, the potential failure, and say, really, if I fail and the worst thing that happens is that these people think poorly of me, which isn't even a problem until we think things about that. So the worst thing that can happen is that we, we with our thoughts, create negative emotions. That's the worst thing that can happen in a failure. Sometimes you might lose some money. I mean, you can go to those places too, like, oh, I invested money and then it didn't work. And so I lost that money or you can lose some time. But even those things will only mean something really negative if you decide to think something really negative about them. Because again, if you turn it around and say, this is just me figuring out how to do this, then you can say, I didn't lose that money. I spent money on figuring out how to do this. I spent this time on figuring out how to do this. And I'm just one step closer to figuring it out. It's always available to you. So that's really powerful powerful to just kind of let yourself go down that that catastrophe worst case scenario and see that the worst that can happen is that I create negative emotions with my thoughts. My in the trenches moment for this episode is to just share a little experience with you guys from when I was deciding whether or not to be a life coach. And I knew I was really enjoying it. I started doing my dinner parties and I was trying to decide if I wanted to go to life coach school. And life coach school was a pretty significant investment. And it would represent a good deal of money and a good deal of time invested into this thing that I was thinking about creating for myself. And I knew I didn't have to go to life coach school to become a life coach. It's an unregulated field. You're able to just say I'm a life coach. And I already was doing a lot of coaching in my dinner parties and had just learned a lot through self-study. But I knew that I wanted to do this forever and help as many people as possible. And I knew that going to life coach school would just give me that much more amazing information and credibility and experience. But one thing that I was concerned about was letting people know that I had decided to become a life coach and to make that significant investment because that was like me going all in. And it was interesting because I had a very clear vision of what my life as a coach would look like. And I knew it was what I wanted to do, but it was pretty unclear to a lot of the people around me. A lot of people don't even know what life coaching is. And even when people do, it seems still kind of like a foreign concept to people. And so even though I knew that I for sure was going to be life coach and that I would be successful and that it was the right fit for me, I knew that a lot of people wouldn't understand it. And so as I prepared to commit to going to life coach school, I feel like the stakes got higher as I thought about the time and money invested and also just what taking that step would mean and everybody knowing that was what I wanted to do. It had felt pretty safe up until this point to just kind of build it on my own and not have to worry too much about what other people were thinking. I had already started to share it more and more as I did my dinner parties, but it still was not just like a public well-known matter and nobody knew how invested I was. Another thing that really concerned me was what if I put in all this time and money and then I decided not to do it down the road or it didn't go the way I thought it would go or I wasn't able to be successful or I wasn't able to build a successful practice. Again, that fear of failure, I guess you could say. And so as I was working to make my decision with kind of all of these thoughts in my mind, those are the typical paths and patterns that I used to really go down as I would make decisions. I would consider the potential failure. I would consider all the, you know, 
investment and risk on my part. I would consider a lot what other people thought. But since I had already been coaching and already been working with a life coach and working to apply all these principles to myself, I was trying to make my decision from a new place in my brain. And I'd already learned this concept of being willing to fail and being willing to feel negative feelings. And I was able to show my brain that really that was all I was risking, was just being willing to feel negative feelings. And so I was able to use these tools to shift my brain away from those very regular familiar patterns of how I used to consider if a decision was worth pursuing and instead make it for all the reasons I liked. I was willing to let other people be wrong about me. I was willing to let them think I was crazy. I was willing to let them see me fail. I was willing to fail. And I knew that I was the creator of everything. And making the decision from that place felt so much better than from the other place where I'm scared and worrying what other people are thinking. And really spending a lot of time thinking about my potential risk. Instead, I spent a lot of time thinking about my potential reward if I was willing to take the chance. If I was willing to reach out and grab the chance, even though at times I would fall And I would be embarrassed and it would seem like everyone was looking at me like in the book. And I just knew that those failures would come and I would know what to do with them when they came. And I was willing to feel it. And I'll tell you, I am still in life coach school right now. I certified last year, but we spend six months certifying and then six months where they're helping you get your practice going. And so I still have lots of assignments and things that I'm doing that have been really, really beneficial and enjoyable. I'm learning so much and I don't regret it for a second. And not only do I not regret it for a second, it's one of the best things I've ever done for myself personally and for my professional life. I am a different person on the other side of it and I am becoming an incredible coach and it's so exciting. And what a worthy investment into myself, into my career, into my business, into my practice and I have made mistakes along the way. I have had some failures here and there that have taught me a lot about myself and I'm so glad that I was willing to take this chance even with the potential risk of money, time, and failure. So the last thing I want to touch on before we wrap up this episode is something called an epic fail goal. This is exactly what it sounds like. We often set goals that feel very safe and we feel confident making them because we've outlined them, we have a plan, it's measurable, we know we can achieve it. But this is kind of just a new way to stretch your mind a little bit around goal setting. You can still make some of those safe goals that you know you'll get and they just kind of help you stay accountable to yourself. Keep doing that. That's great. But just play around with this idea of setting a goal that there's a really good chance you're going to fail epically. It's an interesting exercise because it stretches your brain out of its comfort zone into what we like to call that growth zone. And it's especially powerful if you get really specific with exactly what you want to accomplish and put it in that realm where your brain is like, that's not possible. We're not going to be able to accomplish that in this amount of time. Let me give you a couple examples of epic fail goals. You might set an income goal for your business and then you might decide it's time to go ahead and say it out loud. And when people know, and then if I don't make it, that's going to be a really good example of failing epically and publicly. But In the setting of this goal and in the working for it, whether you get it or not, you're going to do some incredible things. And if you do get it, amazing. And if you don't get it, you're going to learn a lot from that failure. Another example might be that you maybe you want to get married and you might say, I want to find someone, date them, be engaged and be married by the end of next year or something. You know, you pick a timeline that makes you feel almost a little uncomfortable, but it's still it's doable. And then again, you you tell yourself, you start to tell other people. And so if you 
do make your goal amazing. You get married, right? And if you don't make your goal, everybody knows that you had a goal and you didn't make it and you learn so much from that failure as well. You take so many steps on that path trying to fulfill your goal that even if you don't make it, it's lots of amazing things will come from it. I have a little bit of an epic fail goal for my business. I I don't know if it's an epic fail goal, but it's definitely a potential fail goal. And I've been trying to tell people about it because I was pretty uncomfortable to say it at first. And it's getting more and more comfortable to say it out loud. And I really am not sure exactly how I'm going to accomplish it, but I am so excited about it. And I really see it so clearly. So my epic fail goal for my business is that I want to build my family an indoor swimming pool using only profit that I make in my business within five years of when I started to be a life coach. So I'm already about a year and a half into that and I'm I'm on my way. I'm building an amazing business. I've got a great foundation going, but it is a slow, it's a slow build because I still have little kids at home and I'm still in life coach school. And I just try to take steps every day that head me in the direction of this big, beautiful, epic fail goal. And I tell people about it and they're not so sure. And and I'm trying to be more sure. But one thing that's interesting and one reason I'm excited about it is because I have a great vision of holding beautiful retreats in my home in the future. We live, I've told you guys this before, we live on five acres in Eagle Mountain. We have a beautiful view. Um, We have a beautiful home. And I think it would be so fun to add a pool into all of that as far as adding to that retreat experience. Another reason that I really want to build a pool is I grew up with pools and loved it. And it's really just a beautiful thing for a big family to have those experiences. And and the last reason I really want to do it is that I think it's the perfect solution to too much screen time for kids, for adults, you know, friends, whatever. You can't really be on a screen when you're swimming in a pool. And so I love that you have to put your phones down to get into a pool. And I want my kids swimming every day and having their friends over. And if if all the fun is centered around that pool, then I think we're going to be in pretty good shape. So it's it's kind of a, a big goal. It's kind of, I, I'm so excited about, but I feel a little embarrassed to say it out loud sometimes. Sometimes it makes me feel like I'm too, like I'm wanting too much or I'm wanting my business to produce too much or I don't know. Anyway, we'll just see what it is, but it's been pretty exciting to set that as my epic fail goal. Okay, so your mission for this episode is kind of twofold. I want you to first look back at some of what you would call failures in your life and see what it is that you're thinking about them today and see if there's a way that you can start to kind of wiggle those around and look at them in a new way. Especially this is a little, usually a little bit easier to do in hindsight. We can see how, oh, in the moment that failure felt awful and I made it mean things about me, but here we are a few years later and it brought me to this point. And so we can often see that that hindsight can help. And I, so I want you to start with that Just start by looking at these failures and seeing what you made them mean and what you could possibly make them mean today that serves you more. And then the second part of your mission for this episode is to look for opportunities to seize chances that will likely result in a failure and just see what happens. Just start to experiment with it. Start to think of failures in a whole new way and just do it almost like a science experiment, like I'm going to do something where I fail this week. You can't really ensure failure, but there's like a high probability that I'll fail this week. And when I fail, here's what I want to think about it. And then just see what happens and report back to me. I'd love to hear about it. Okay, we're going to end this episode with a quick hot mess moment. Several years ago, I was on a road trip with, I just had four kids at this point. I think we were driving to California and I can't remember why, but Brad wasn't there. 
So it was just me and the four kids. Bruce was my youngest and he was a baby at this time. And in his car seat, he had a blowout. Anyway, you guys know how that can happen when they're sitting on their diaper and then it just comes out the sides and oh, it's awful. But we pulled over. We needed to make a rest stop anyway. And I grabbed new clothes and new diaper and we went into the McDonald's bathroom and I just had all my kids in there with me because they were all little enough that I couldn't really let them be out of my sight. So we're all crowded into this bathroom and I'm changing Bruce's diaper, getting them all cleaned up and I'm holding the pajamas that have poop on them. This is a gross poop story, sorry. And for some reason I need to flush something down the toilet, like just like someone had blown their nose or something and I was just flushing like some toilet paper down the toilet and I accidentally dropped his pajamas in the toilet and these were like high power McDonald's toilets, you guys. So I'm like holding Bruce in one arm. He's all cleaned up and I'm holding the poopy pajamas in the other. And one of my kids brings me something and I just thought, oh, I'll, I'll just flush this down the toilet. It was, just, it was just like toilet paper. And I accidentally let go of the PJs and they just go whoosh down the toilet. I mean, they were gone in, in a half a second. And I just stood there, just baffled. I didn't know what to do. I was so, it was like, it was like a onesie set of PJs. It wasn't like the fleece kind. It was just regular cotton, but it still was like a whole pair of pajamas. It wasn't just like a little t-shirt or pair. Anyway, there was a zipper and, and I just stood there just dumbfounded. I had no idea what to do. And fortunately I had the clean PJs to put on him or, or whatever, the clean outfit. And I put him, I got him dressed. Everybody used the restroom or whatever. And the toilet seemed to be working fine, but I still felt like I needed to report it or something to the employees just in case they wanted to know. If it, I just know toilets are finicky and we never want them to malfunction. So I felt really bad and I just kind of went up to the counter at McDonald's and said, I, I'm not even sure, how, you know, how to tell you, what I should tell you, if I should tell you, but we were in your restroom and we accidentally flushed a whole pair of pajamas down your toilet. And I was, I was just laughing and also just kind of embarrassed. And the employee who was just like a teenager was just like, oh, thanks for letting us know. She didn't even ask, you know, which toilet. I was trying to figure out how to tell her which toilet in the bathroom. And she just sent me on my way. And so I guess they don't really care. They're, they're very intense, like commercial toilets. So it must be able to handle stuff like that. But anyway, just beware when you flush those high power toilets that really they can handle anything and watch out what's dropping. <laughs> so we still joke about that. Sometimes my older kids who were there and also were pretty shocked when it happened. We'll bring that up every once in a while and we'll be like, oh, watch out. You know, don't don't drop anything in the toilet. <laughs> anyway, that was a really good time. And that's all I have for you in this episode. So thank you so much for making time in your day to listen to this episode. If you enjoy this podcast, please share it with your friends. I also love when you subscribe, rate, and review it. If this podcast resonates with you and you are interested in learning more, please send an email to jesse at simplyresilient.net to schedule your free life coaching mini session and see if working with me would be a great fit for you. Remember that when we choose to intentionally manage our minds, we go from feeling mentally miserable to feeling like a mental warrior. You've got this. I'll talk to you soon. Over and out.